Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, Savage Project Personal Finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome today's guest, a strong and powerful Gregory Sadler. Greg, are you ready to do this? I sure am. Excellent. Let's do this. Dr. Greg Sadler is a practical philosopher. He's the president of Reason I.O., the editor of Stoicism Today, an instructor of philosophy at Marist College, a lecturer in philosophy at Marquette, and he is a YouTuber. Also, very importantly, he is Money Savage's first returning guest. Welcome back, oh. Greg. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that. That's really cool. Yes. So we're getting close to uh, having recorded 100 episodes, so uh, excited to uh, definitely have you back. Um, so we, we covered a lot of ground last time, uh, talked a lot about how Stoics viewed money, um, but and I was hoping to get a little bit deeper into uh, how as disruptions like artificial intelligence and machine learning automation are going to be displacing a lot of us workers, what the world's going to look like. Um, but first, I was I was hoping we could just talk a little bit about what the world looked like when stoicism was being sort of developed. Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, the, the classic text for stoicism that people reference are all from the ancient period and they're all, you know, Greek or, or Roman. So they're, they're not looking at other uh, cultures as well. And sometimes um, it, it may seem a bit foreign or, or uh, sort of old fashioned to, to people who are reading it. But I, I think that it's, it's particularly important because as we're talking about, um, we're seeing a kind of reversion back to very stratified societies where there's a lot of uncertainty for ordinary people. So, um, you know, when Stoicism was developing in Greece, it was already a, a fairly unified economy. You know, they, they'd left the, the era of city-states that were fighting against each other and, and rivals to each other. They, there was still some of that going on, but, you know, Alexander's conquests had united not just the Greek world, but outside of the Greek world, the Persian world, which was already a, a multinational empire, into this, this vast, they called it an, an Oikonomike, an economy is how we translate it, but it meant household, uh, one giant family, you could think of it. And like in a lot of families, unfortunately, some people get the short end of the stick. Right. A lot of people were. Um, you know, one of the big differences compared to our time that stands out immediately is that there was a heavy reliance on slave labor and you know what we call chattel slavery where people could either be born as slaves or enter slavery through through debt or through warfare um, and and many people you know were in this this uh, terrible position of having somebody else not only tell them what to do uh, which is not always bad but but own them and be able to dispose of them so that's one major difference. But, you know, it wasn't like antebellum American slavery because you could you could exit slavery. You could be you could be freed. And that that happened quite frequently. Epictetus was a freed slave himself. Um, so, you know, if you were a slave, we, we often picture slavery as this this uh, 
terrible condition and some slaves had an awful time. You know, if you were working in a lead mine, uh, you were guaranteed to die pretty quickly or a salt mine or, you know, rowing a galley or things like that. But a lot of the educational work was actually carried out by household slaves as well. And as stoicism, you know, grew into a a major philosophy and spread throughout the the Greco-Roman world, it started to appeal to people of all different classes of life. Uh, Many of them were, in fact, slaves, but quite a few of them were what we would nowadays just call ordinary people or, you know, we we think of them as middle class or working class. Um, And then, you know, it also appealed to the elites who were doing quite well, who generally had a uh, some sort of, you know, good economic position. Seneca is a great example of that. He uh, in some part, he you could say he, he built his his own stuff, but in large part, it was. I guess we'd nowadays call it government patronage, <laughs> being given gifts and and uh, uh, nice uh, opportunities by his his uh, interactions with the government. And then you have all sorts of other people in between. Um, but you know, as far as their their standard of living, really, so many things that we take for granted in our lives, from being able to get in the car and just drive down the road to the t- that we're using now just totally non-existent, although they could imagine things like that. They, if you read the, the fiction or some of the philosophy, you see people proposing interesting ideas like Aristotle talking about how if we had uh, looms and shuttles that would do the weaving by themselves, we wouldn't need, we wouldn't need to make anybody into a slave mm-hmm. to do that. And now Aristotle brings it up as a, well, nobody would believe this sort of nonsense. You know, it's always going to be slaves. But um, there's there's a, an a attentiveness to this. And there was quite a lot of technological development going on from century to century. So I think that's a big part of it. And then, you know, if you think about life expectancy and um, many of the things that the Stoics were concerned with, like, for example, diseases, right? There's There's a lot of diseases that struck people in ancient uh, Rome, Greece, all the the territories that they had that we now get inoculated against. But that said, we're also living in a period where we're starting to see, um, you know, uh, resistant bacteria and viruses that are adapting themselves. So I don't know how long things are going to be radically different for us. And and we also live, just to launch a little bit into, you know, what we were going to talk about today, we live in a society where we may have incredible technology at our disposal, but uh, many people don't have access to it. Right. Or we may have great medical facilities, but because of the way our system is set up, as opposed to, you know, most of the other developed countries, uh, a lot of people are just shut out out from it or, or it becomes incredibly expensive and they have to make decisions. Do I go for treatment? Do I purchase the medicine I need or do I pay this bill? Right. So, you know, another thing you'd brought up too was um, how much leisure time do these, hmm. do these people have back in ancient Greece and Rome? And, and that depended, you know, if, again, if you were in a really bad position, if you were a slave uh, to some tyrannical master, you might be working all day long and just, you know, be just collapse and then be woken up to work some more. But 
I think on the whole, most people had more leisure than than we contemporary first worlders enjoy right now, in part because we fill up our leisure time with so much stuff. You know, um, I'm not knocking podcasts, but that you know that's one example, right? Sure. You know, any of these media products that we we have, you know, if you think about Netflix and and Hulu and uh, Amazon Prime, there is more content than you could watch in 10 lifetimes available to you right now. Mm-hmm. And they're set up to get you to binge watch them. So you know, we have we have less leisure time. But it's also, I think, in, in part because um, those of us who aren't stuck working two jobs or, or doing a lot of side hustles, um, we, we don't make as good or thoughtful use of our leisure time as we might might do. Yeah. And I know that, yes, so I, I really appreciate I appreciate the sort of the level setting and, and, for lack of a better term, the backstory on the development of Stoicism. And I know that there's a lot of people, um, myself included, in the past who were sort of stuck in a consumer cycle. Ah, um, uh, yeah. And I'm sure that Stoicism has a lot to teach uh, those of us who are always buying the next new iPhone as soon as it comes out or shopping a lot on Prime Day or whatever it might be. Yeah, I was I was really I didn't know about Prime Day and uh you know I'm an Amazon affiliate so they they sent me an email and I was like, "What what is this business?" and I just ignored it because I've got a lot of, you know, things to do and I thought, I don't know if my my uh viewers and subscribers would be that interested in me making a recommendation about it. And then I heard on NPR as I was driving that it's like one of the biggest online shopping days of the year and I thought to myself, "Well, that that was a missed opportunity." <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I mean, those, those, those sorts of, uh, issues of, of, um, purchasing, I think that's something that stoicism could help with in, in a very broad sense, <clears throat> what stoicism as a type of virtue ethics, or if you, if you like another term a, a way of intentional living, uh, affords us is the ability to put things in fuller perspective and to reestablish priorities for ourselves. And if, if you find yourself caught in, and it's a really good way to describe it, the consumer cycle, because you're, you're constantly cycling through and, and purchasing new things because everything you purchase is designed to go obsolete fairly soon. You know, I've got an iPhone 5 and I, I do get frustrated with it because Apple is slowing it down and it's just getting obsolete. Um, so sometimes it, you know, crashes, the battery runs out quickly. But I I hold off on purchasing a new one because, you know, I, I want to make this piece uh, of technology last as long as possible because it's a business expense. But sooner or later, I'm going to bite the bullet and buy whatever it happens to be. Maybe it'll be the 11 by then. Um, but it's, it's you know, easy to justify buying things when you're, say, trying to build a business or trying to expand your network of contacts. And it could be things, I mean, we'll come back to like sort of frivolous purchases in, in, in a minute and say what stoicism has to say about that. But even when it comes to things that you portray to yourself as absolutely necessary expenses for doing the sorts of things that you're doing, like um, going to a conference because you're going to make you know important network connections there, right? And then you have to purchase the the, the airfare and think about what you're going to spend while you're there, and maybe you need a new shirt to wear or a new tie. All of these sorts of things um, would benefit from us just stepping back a bit and saying, well, what what is the payoff here, 
And besides the payoff in terms of finances, what is it that I, I really desire here or I am adverse to? And how do I think that this is going to lead me into something good or away from something bad? And so, you know, we can use stoicism not just to say no to things. Sometimes we actually need to say yes to things. But we can use it as a, a mode to analyze our motivations. And I actually think this is something done best with bringing other people into the picture because although the classic Stoics portrayed us as being this, you know, inner citadel all by ourselves, being totally self-sufficient, I, I don't think that in the modern age that's really the condition of any of us right. who are practicing Stoicism. In, in the modern Stoicism team, we bounce ideas off of each other and, you know, uh, before we, we put things out, we're like, do you think this is actually going to work or is this is this a bad idea? So, so, you know, stoicism can help with that. And then I think it could probably help us discern, you know, what are frivolous purchases or what are really needed purchases or what falls in between? What are the purchases we're making because we feel lonely or we we uh, get excited about the buzz about some some product and think that we ought to have it or we want to compete with with somebody else, um, it can help us examine those assumptions that are driving our behavior. And how do we do that? Well, one, one of the key things is to, uh, Epictetus talks about this in terms of what he calls appearances. Um, another translation is impressions or even imaginations. Um, he says, whenever you encounter an appearance, and, and now of course, you can't do this all the time or you'd go nuts. But when you encounter an appearance that, that, let's say, has a dollar sign attached to it, I should purchase this. You just stop for a second. And instead of uh, making the impulse buy or instead of allowing the uh, advertisement saying, you've only got one day to make a decision on this, you know, get in on it now, you step back and you say, okay, is this really a good thing or a bad thing or is this something indifferent? And, and there's nothing wrong with purchasing things that are indifferent because they may be useful in some way. And then you start going a little bit deeper and, and saying, why do I want this? Do I want this because somebody else wants me to want it? Or do I really want this myself? And then you can even ask, am I on the right track in, in wanting this thing? Am I trying to compensate for something? You know, like, like the people who, um, in their parenting, things, they don't spend enough time with their kids, they miss the recital, so they, they buy them a big fancy toy of some sort. Well, that, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> um, it's not really going to fix anything, but people, people do think that it will. So if we, if we examine our thought processes and we examine our emotions, and we do the, the work that it takes of not trying to come to a quick solution about it. And there's, there's sort of a second level thing too. You have to be okay with being screwed up um, because nobody starts out studying anything that, that's going to change their life in the right place. They're, they're gonna be way more screwed up than on track. And so you, you have to be okay with being screwed up at this point in time, but but at least understanding what your motives are. And then once you have that understanding, now you can make a choice. And you can say, I'm not going to buy this this time. And quite frankly, um, you know, you may have some initial successes, but you're probably gonna have a lot of failures too. 
So, you know, it, it's a matter of, as Epictetus says, picking yourself up. You know, you get thrown down seven times, get up eight times, just like the, the wrestler in the uh, Olympic contest um, or a- anything else, you know, go and ask your boss for a raise. And that doesn't, because they deny you this time, doesn't mean that, you know, they'll always deny you. Um, so that's a lot said on my part. Yeah. I think that- <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's excellent. I think examining what your motives for purchasing something are because we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty. Oh yeah. Myself included (laughs) of, of comparison or envy or whatever it might be. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm not feeling great about myself or I feel guilty to like, like what you said, I'm not spending enough time with my kid overcompensation. You know, I'll say one thing too, because you asked about differences between the ancient world and, and the present. One thing the ancients didn't really have to struggle with, they had a hard enough time with with objects being attractive to them and and having screwed up, you know, psychological motivations. Uh, And we have that, too. But they didn't have an entire advertising industry churning away, (laughs) trying to get them to not just buy stuff. I mean, you don't the advertising industry isn't really about getting people to buy stuff. It's about getting people to desire stuff Mm. and creating or shaping new desires that are going to be reliable, which means that they get established within our, our psyches. And, and if we want to change that, um, it's not going to be the, the work of a single day or, you know, one realization. You have to keep going at it. So I don't know. It could be like energy drinks, right? You, you've bought into the notion that uh, you really need to have energy drinks if you're going to get through the day and, and work out successfully. Right. Um, well, you probably don't because people managed to do that for <laughs> centuries in the past. Actually, that, that's, that's another thing that the Stoics bring up. Sometimes we should make comparisons, and those comparisons should be along the lines of, well, somebody else managed to do just fine without this. So maybe I can do just fine. You know, and it could even be our past. Think about, you know, when we were kids and cell phones didn't exist and how dependent we are on them. I I don't like to leave the house without my cell phone. For me, it's sort of like a guy with a wallet. You know, you never want to be anywhere without your wallet because there's so much stuff. And if you lose your wallet, you feel unmoored within the world. Um, that's the way my cell phone is now. So now I have two things where if, if I misplace them or if they're not functional for me, I, I can feel bad. But I could remind myself, man, when I was a kid, um, the adults around me did just fine without cell phones. You know, there were some inconveniences. You, you couldn't just text somebody, you know, on the spur of the moment. But that might actually be a good thing. Right. Believe it or not. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are necessarily, Greg, but when I was, I, I didn't have a cell phone until I was probably 22 or 23 years old. So I went through all my schooling and college, somehow managed well, you were to, so to uh, connect with my friends. <laughs> um, but I think that being, being a lifelong learner and trying to learn and improve every day is probably, I don't know specifically, I assume that's, uh, that fits into the Stoic tradition, but talking about how it's okay to be to understand that you're a little bit screwed up that's yeah you need to be able to appreciate that and also appreciate and understand that there are forces that are working uh, on your subconscious yes (laughs) all the time so be a little bit patient with yourself and give yourself uh the give yourself the grace to to examine why it is that i'm acting this way 
Yeah, exactly. That, that was something we touched on last time. You know, you were asking uh, how how should people get into stoicism, and I, I essentially said, well, don't go into it whole hog because you're probably going to to fail. Then, you know, do it a little bit at a time. And I think part of that, so building off of that, is that. Um, realizing the condition that you're in at the time and just being honest with yourself. I mean, if, if you, I don't know, let's, let's just pick an example out of the air. Let's say you're uh, one of these people who describes themselves as a chocoholic, right? So you're buying, you know, multiple candy bars <laughs> each day at a gas station, you know, and you say, well, I want to lose some weight. And I realize that, you know, these empty calories are not good for me and, and you quit you know telling yourself the stuff about antioxidants and all that, <laughs> that silly stuff that I mean you could get them somewhere else right you don't from chocolate um, now you're <clears throat> you're probably gonna struggle quite a bit and there'll be some days where somebody chews you out at work or you lose a client or you know traffic is bad or you just feel like crap and you're going to want to have a chocolate bar more because you've you've got a habit built up, and it, you know it's. I'm not saying it's okay then to 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 break down, but it's okay to tell yourself, yeah, this is how I am, and if I want to be something different, it's going to take me time to to work through this. So I I have to let myself be who I am. Doesn't mean I have to give in at every point, but but realize that you probably will give in at some point. Just like I, you know, I work on my I use, I use stoicism to work on my anger and I am a much less angry person than I was in the past and I still fail probably once every other day in some some way uh, but you know you just get back up and keep working at it so that's a similar process right if I want to buy a candy bar or I'm about to fly into road rage just take yeah. a second examine why it is that I'm feeling this way yeah. And, and as you do that more often, it becomes a not completely automatic process, but that becomes a new habitual process. And you gain insight over time about your own, your own psychological makeup. And, and some people are, are more prone to one thing or another. Um, there's some people who are predisposed to be more angry and they'll have to struggle or I suppose there's probably some people predisposed to eating chocolate bars um, or, or taking financial news and getting very dismayed about it or spending too much time on, on uh, I don't think it's quite so specific but spending too much time on social media and uh, looking at uh, political arguments and disputes and then feeling depressed about that. Mm. Some people have to struggle with, with these things more than others. And it really, anything can get, just get you trapped in that cycle of waking up and doing it over and over and over and over again. And that doesn't yeah. fix itself. So Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, we have to choose to fix it. And so first we have to be able to say, ah, there's something here to fix. So we have to get past the denials and, you know, the excuses uh, and we have to <clears throat> eventually, you know, be be honest with ourselves. And sometimes it helps to have other people say, man, you, you really got a problem there uh, because sometimes we won't say it to ourselves. And then we can start working on it. And, and so using this this mode of analysis to think about what it is that we're desiring and why we desire it, what, what's really behind it. You know, like think about money, right? Why do people desire money? The straightforward answer is because you can buy stuff with it. And that's great. But why do you want to buy stuff? Well, I got to stay alive. Okay, well, you don't need much money for that. You can live in a tiny apartment 
and eat pretty healthy food that you, you know, uh, know the sources of and, and you can get by on fairly minimal entertainment things with just Netflix and Hulu and internet. Um, but that doesn't satisfy most people. So what, what do you need all this other money for, all this purchasing power? Well, you know, some of it is about comfort and some of it is about competition with others and some of it is about showing mom and dad that you actually are financially independent for, you know, at certain stages in life. Sure. Some of it is about uh, making other people happy or doing what you think is going to make them happy, buying them nice things. Um, and we could go on and on and on, but but unless you know which of these is you, and I, I guess one of the things is, you know, figuring out who you are. It, it's self knowledge, um, learning about why you get anxious when you look at the checkbook and, and things aren't balancing out right, you know, um, or Quicken or whatever you use to to keep track. That hopefully do, people do keep track of that. Sure, you know? <laughs> I did know some people who didn't and just sort of left it to. To chance, and you got to wonder about their motivational structure. Oh, they're out there, uh, Greg. Believe it or not. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, when I was in the army, this is a total digression, but it was really kind of a funny thing. So, and this is years and years and years ago, when when you know people had checkbooks, and you kept track of it in your your checkbook every time you wrote a check. And our sergeants, it got so bad with people writing bad checks that our sergeants would make us show them. The, our checkbooks and make sure that that things were up to date and they'd look to see what was the last check that you wrote and they'd want to see an entry in the ledger there mm. and if you, you couldn't do that then you know you weren't going out on pass i think that that is a perfect example of discipline <laughs> first and then personal responsibility yeah so well this has been awesome greg um I know that you gave us a difference-making tip the first time around, but would you happen to have another one for us? Yeah, I actually have one, and it came out of uh, a bit of reading, a rereading that I was doing. And I'll, I'll just read you the line and then tell you a little bit about it. So it's from Seneca's Letter 22. He says, uh, You may loosen rather than cut the knot which you have bungled so badly in tying. And I think that if you think about the problems that we face – in terms of money, we've often tied knots that are really, really complicated. And one of our tendencies is to say, well, I'm just going to cut this knot. And so we, we do like Alexander did with the Gordian knot and just get out the sword and cut it. And that never fixes things. That always <laughs> makes things worse. What we have to do is patiently tug a little bit here and try to loosen this part here and try to see what the structure of it is so that we can gradually untie these knots that we're, we're stuck in. So, you know, if you're in debt, you know, doing uh, the first debt consolidation thing that comes along, probably not a good idea. It's not really cutting the knot. It's just retying the knot even tighter. Instead, you want to like pull a little bit here and pull a little bit there. You know, how much am I spending on this? How much can I throw at this debt here? That is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. So thank you for that. And Greg, thank you for coming on again. Uh, tell Savage Nation where they can learn more about you. Oh, well, uh, reasonio.com is my website. I've got my YouTube channel. If you just Google Gregory Sadler, you'll see about, at this point, 1,400 videos come up. And I'm also 
on Twitter at Philosopher70. I'm on Facebook. I have my own author page. And if you'd like to support the work that I'm doing, you can go to patreon.com slash Sadler and uh, become a monthly supporter. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Greg your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to ReasonIO.com, find him on YouTube, follow him on Twitter, Facebook, and by all means, support him via Patreon.com. Thank you again, Greg. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Glad to be the first return guest. Yes. (laughs) And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!